This week's scripture reading is Luke 1. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on, my generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in his inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from his thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped it his servants, Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Amen. Uh, as we uh, find December already upon us, I wanted to offer uh, some reflections uh, on Christmas themes. Uh, today's passage, uh, Mary's Magnificat, uh, which means glorify the Lord in Latin, uh, could also be an expression of thanksgiving, uh, which connects us well uh, with our past month's uh, messages. Um, Mary's hymn of praise and thanksgiving to God is full of rich themes. Uh, but the idea of humility uh, comes especially to the fore. And humility is interwoven uh, into the entire Christmas narrative and tradition. So it's a topic that I'd like us to examine in today's sermon. Uh, I playfully titled the message Bah Humble, <laughs> bah humble to evoke uh, the phrase Bah Humbug, right? You, you've heard that, uh, around, especially around the Christmas holidays. It was used... Um, it's used by people to bemoan the elements of like popular holiday events or cheery situations that they don't like. Uh, it was first, I think, popularized by uh, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, uh, the miserly curmudgeon, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Right? This is my second or third <laughs> recent reference uh, to, to that character. Edmund kind of alluded to Dickens or mentioned Dickens today. Um, his hatred, Scrooge's hatred for Christmas was re expressed by his reactionary bah humbugs to anything Christmas uh, spirit related. Um, nowadays, I think we use it to kind of pour cold water on an idea or plan that others might like, but we don't really see the value in. Uh, by changing the last syllable on the word, so from bah humbug to bah humble, I wanted to uh, try to convey the idea, the general attitude that the world has against uh, humbleness. Right? The world uh, mostly disdains humility as an undesirable character trait, a weakness, uh, even a flaw. Uh, to me, though, it really epitomizes the Christmas story. Uh, from God's plan to Mary's selection to Mary's self-understanding, to Jesus' birth, right? All the way to our magnificent salvation. All of this is undergirded by divine and human humbleness. And Mary's pian uh, captures the essence of not only her experience, but the blessedness that God would bestow upon all who shared in her humility. I'd like to organize then 
the rest of the message by um, mentioning several different ways uh, that I think humility manifests uh, in this passage. And then try to connect each way with uh, the broader uh, Christian, Christ, sorry, broader Christmas uh, message. So the first part, okay, the first part is about submission. Right? And, and humility and submission, right? They go hand in hand. I'm going to talk about that more, but especially Mary's self-awareness. She knows she is in humble circumstances. She knows she's in a humble state. And yet that is, I think, what uh, defines, what qualifies her to be such an important part of God's, um, God's incarnation, God's salvation, God's redemption. The next uh, few verses, 51 to 53, I'm going to talk about kind of the, the topic of subversion, right? Like you heard the term subversive, so like somebody is doing something kind of not uh, very evident or, or obvious, but it's actually changing uh, the core, changing the, the hearts. Or, or It's a movement that is not readily apparent, but after it's done, it's such a powerful uh, result, right? So the subversive power of humility, right? And we'll see how uh, God takes those in humble circumstances, those who are humble in heart, and he lifts them up. He honors them. And then this last verse, uh, two verses, is about what I want to call substantiation. Right? We use the term substantiation to like, confirm or verify something, right? Yeah. Uh, his claim was substantiated by the evidence. We say something like that. I want to say that if, you, if we are humble, right, um, then uh, our faith in God will be substantiated. Right? It will be uh, fulfilled, it will be satisfied by God's faithfulness. Right? So humility uh, engenders right, that kind of response uh, from God. Okay, First, uh, submission. Uh, the humility of Mary is a key feature of her response to the angel's annunciation that she is with child through the Holy Spirit. The normal happy life that Mary expected with her fiancé Joseph was shattered by God's sovereign grace in her life. God called her to a very difficult life, albeit a special one. Yet Mary is an exemplar of humble submission to God's will. Uh, Luke 1.38 records her as saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's a very willing, a very uh, a humble uh, response of submission. True humility is not about modesty. Right? A lot of people go, oh, he's a modest guy. He doesn't brag about himself. She's humble, right? It does involve that aspect, but it's not only that. It's not about scarcity. Just because you don't have anything, that doesn't make you automatically humble. I've seen the people who have the least amount of things, or the least going for them. They are the proudest. They have the biggest uh, uh, kind of self-understandings of us all. Yeah. Although these aspects can accompany a humble life, 
Humility is really, uh, humility before God means submission, submitting to his ways and to his plans. Right? Uh, it's to step aside from the sole governance of our lives and letting and let God take over. Right? It's to step off the throne, as we say, and let God be king. Let God be God. And we, his subjects, we, his servants, right? we carry out his plans, his commands. It's not telling God what we want. It's not asking him to bless our choices. It's not resisting when he sends us on a difficult path. Right? Humility uh, entails uh, submission. And that's actually what happened to Mary. Uh, the Holy Spirit took over her life when she found out why uh, and what it meant. She offers herself in faith to be the vessel, literally, for the salvation of mankind. She calls God her Savior, but she herself became an instrument of that very salvation. Her husband Joseph was no slouch either. At first, Joseph was going to divorce Mary uh, because she thought he had been, uh, she had been unfaithful with another man. But when she learned that Mary was pregnant through divine means, he steps up in faith. He submits right, to being the earthly father of Jesus, protecting mother and child from scorn, from violence, from privation, from adversity. Joseph is the key player uh, in the escape to Egypt portion of Jesus's life when King Herod orders infanticide in his futile attempt to clutch onto power. Of course, Jesus himself is the paragon of submission. He obeyed his father's will, heavenly father's will, to enter space-time, to be birthed uh, in a manger, to subject himself to the vagaries of earthly existence. Right? Jesus especially subjugated himself to rejection and dereliction, both at the human and divine level, in order to atone for our sins. Now, Philippians 2 puts it thusly, uh, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus shows his humility through submission. Now, uh, subjugating ourselves to God, even God, right, is no easy feat. Our egos are too strong. Our desire for control, pervasive. Our sense of self-rightness, unassailable. But even at her young age, Mary's self-understanding is illuminating. Now, she refers to her own humble state, that God has been mindful of her humble state. Uh, true, she was humble, like, you know, uh, objectively, she was young, she didn't have much means. Women in those days had absolutely no power, no options for self-advancement. But what I find uh, particularly helpful about what Mary writes here is that she gives, um, she's super clear about crediting God for anything good that happens to her, any sort of uplift in her life, 
it's due to God's mercy, right? God's grace and not her own qualifications, her own actions, her own potential, right? It's all God. She's under no illusion that she has helped herself along in any way. All of it comes from God. The mighty one has done great things, she writes. He and no other has lifted her up. God deserves all the credit and glory. Uh, she considers herself blessed, not because she is deserving, but because God has mercy on her. She would be uh, known for all generations because God um, has done these things for her, graciously done these things for her. So humility, uh, she shows, despite... I think her admirable faith. I once had a, years ago, I had a nice conversation with a Catholic priest uh, about uh, the topic of Mariology. Right? Mariology is kind of what people uh, kind of, I guess in a negative way, the, the veneration of the Virgin Mary that um, you see kind of uh, in, present in numerous Catholic practices. So I asked him, I go, why all this attention? Why this prominence of, of Mary when the Bible, of course, you know, recognizes her, but not in the way that I think uh, it seems that she, the prominence she has in, um, in certain practices. And he told me that uh, for him personally and his understanding of official Catholic theology, uh, Mary is just a great example of faith. Right? Not necessarily with all the special attributions, right? sinlessness, immaculate conception. That's what immaculate conception means. Not that Jesus is sinless. Well, he is, but then in order for Jesus to be sinless, Mary too had to be sinless. My argument is why doesn't Mary's mom have to be sinless and then you, where do you end and stuff. But he, he said that's, that's not the point. The point in his mind is that Mary is a model of faith and submission. And to that I said amen. Right? Other commentators note that Mary's knowledge of the Old Testament is very apparent in this passage. Her song has a lot of similarities with Hannah's prayer back in 1 Samuel. Um, some count at a minimum 12 uh, uh, allusions to the Old Testament, right? So basically Mary knew the Bible, knew the, her scriptures really well. All this to say that she could have been tempted uh, to see herself in not necessarily a, a, a humble state, but kind of like she could have felt good about herself. She has some spiritual depth. You know, she has this kind of courage, this willingness. You know, God chose her, right? And yet, that is not her confession. Right? She's humble enough to submit. She doesn't add anything. She doesn't gloss anything. She doesn't make any conditions, right, with her service. May it be to me as the Lord has said. Right, and for that, for that humility, we have the amazing Christmas story. Okay, next. Um, talk about subversion. God subverts the power structure of the world by exalting the humble and abasing the proud. Let's review uh, 51 through 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. 
The typical forms of life that people pursue, self-dependence, political power, wealth, uh, they're all flipped on their head by God's power and mercy. He does not abide the worldly structures that people admire and aspire to. Indeed, humbleness is the gateway to experience God's provision and benefits. It reminds uh, me of the Beatitudes that Jesus pronounces in Matthew 5, opening the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, so on and so forth. Each condition for blessing is not really a state of blessedness, right? Who wants to be poor in spirit? Who wants to be mourning, mournful? Who wants to hunger and thirst? Right? But each condition right, is actually an expression of humility and need. It is when we're in such a state of humility and need that God works best and most. When we need God most, God blesses us most. It's a simple way to say it. Now the world, of course, scoffs at humility. Bah humbug, the world would say to humility. Who needs it? You're weak when you're humble. You're forgotten when you're humble. You're a failure if you're humble. And we see that uh, writ large, especially these days in our society. Uh, humility is just so lacking uh, all across the world, all across America, all across New York City, all across us right, in, in our lives. When I read about conflict in our governmental leadership, in everyday society, everybody thinks, everybody has this kind of confidence, this, this, this unabashed confidence that they're right. They're right about masks, they're right about vaccination, they're right about the pandemic, they're right about him, they're right about them, and everyone else is wrong. Right? And you'll, 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 you'll claw and fight and post <laughs> to uh, make sure that everyone knows that you're right and others uh, are wrong. Right? Everyone is so entrenched. I'm so entrenched in my own opinions and values we're so sure of ourselves, or at least we're so sure that the people who disagree with us are so wrong. Do you guys have that? Ever thought about that? Like, it's not. If you ask me, are you so sure about what you think is right? I, I would say, okay, just, you know, just to be polite, to be decent. I would say, well, I'm not sure and stuff. But if you ask me, like, do I think that person's wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I get this, like. They are more wrong than I am right. You guys know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a very interesting kind of dynamic that uh, I think we, we find, we, we see at work uh, among us uh, all throughout. Yeah, bah humble. No wonder there's so much dissension, so much disunity within and we out, without, right? That is the fruit of pride. Yeah. Pride um, takes us down these, these very dark paths. Um, once again, permit me, permit me to reference the Tower of Babel, the story, right? Genesis 11, in which the builders, very capable people, undertake a huge building project to 
build a tower that would pierce the heavens, right? The ultimate goal is to make a name for themselves so that everyone forever would know of their achievement and fame. God's response is to come down and confuse their languages such that no one can communicate with each other, right? But in a sense, God, I, I feel like God didn't really have to do that because right? that's what pride does, right? Pride confuses uh, each other. We can't communicate. I don't understand what you're saying. You don't understand what I'm saying. This group doesn't understand what that group's saying. These people have no idea what those people are saying. Uh, pride separates. It puts us at odds with each other. We're talking but not understanding. We're present together but not united. We're active but not really a team. I want to do this. You want to do that. The group thinks this direction is the way to go. That group thinks the opposite pathway is superior. No one yields. No one concedes. No one compromises. And that leads to, yeah, we'll go our, we have to separate. We'll just stay arm's length. We can't trust. We can't really be honest. We can't be vulnerable. We can't. We can't really do much uh, together. Right? It drives a wedge between people. Ergo, the Babel Ians, <laughs> the Babel Ians, uh, uh, they are. They go their own way. The Christmas message uh, is very subversive to the powers that be. Right? Imperial Rome, which is all about the glory of self about rulers on thrones, about the dominance of wealth. It's infiltrated, right? Infiltrated by an unnoticed and insignificant element, a tiny baby born to an impoverished couple in a quaint hamlet in a, in a Palestinian backwater. Yet the baby would upend the world as we know it, both on this side of heaven and across the great uh, divide. Right? This the subversion is played out rather dramatically in the immediately uh, subsequent chapter, chapter 2 of Luke. Mary, nearing full term, is forced to go with Joseph to his hometown of Bethlehem to register for tax purposes right? uh, by the uh, uh, declaration made by Caesar Augustus, the emperor. Uh, great historical happenings are afoot. Right? Augustus flexes his muscle and nearly the entire entire world has to flinch. It looks like kings and generals and senators of the world are at their heydays. But God uses these so-called movers and shakers to carry out a quiet but grander plan. Riding, literally, the census requirement, the Holy Family ends up in the city of David, Bethlehem, as prophesied. Yeah, enter the lion not just disguised as a lamb, but really uh, both a lion uh, and a lamb. Yeah, subversive, uh, to say the least. Uh, Jesus' birth is indeed the greatest upside-down story of them all. The Son of God became a helpless infant who stood up against the greatest empire in the world and overthrew it without throwing a punch, without brandishing a sword, without inciting his, his armies. Jesus defeated the world by suffering for its follies. He brought down the lords by going himself going so low, uh, they fell off their thrones trying to figure out how to stop him. Jesus died penniless because that's how he was born. That's how we're all born and how we die. Naked I come from the womb, I came from the womb, and naked I return. 
So Jesus ultimately subverted the self by surrendering himself, by giving up his life. He helped us find ours. By becoming last and least, he became first and greatest. That's humility. That's Christmas. Uh, let me finish with a brief point about the fulfillment of prophecies and promises, or what I called substantiation. Uh, like I said, we substantiate a claim by finding evidence or con evidence of confirmation or verification. Uh, in her song, uh, Mary concludes that God's act of mercy is not a one-time occurrence. It's actually God's pattern, his M.O. She mentions how God has remembered Abraham and his descendants, not only here and there or in a bounded fashion, but forever. This came by way of promise and commitment to the forefathers of the Israelites. God promised to lead and bless them. God's faithfulness was especially substantiated through Mary's scion, right? Jesus. It really takes humility to wait upon God. Um, to trust in his promises. Sometimes it's long in coming in terms of fruition. And we're so tempted, right, to take action, to take matters into our own hands. We think we can do better or at least improve our lot. But humility uh, gives time to God. It doesn't act impulsively or fearfully. It leans on the promises of God. It waits for substantiation, which is sure to come. Apparently, there is this uh, saying or quote, uh, typically and wrongly attributed to Sun Tzu, right? Art of War Sun Tzu. Uh, you may have heard it. If you wait by the river long enough, you'll see the bodies of your enemies floating by. Right? If you wait by the river long enough, you will see the bodies of your enemies floating by, or something to that effect. I think it's kind of uh, uh, extolling the uh, value of strategic patience and wisdom. I don't know if that's true, right? It could be, could, could not be. So I'm just going to like take it and change it, right? That if you wait by the river long enough prayerfully, you will see God's fulfillment floating by and an invitation to join in. That's a little bit more sure to me than any sort of uh, military uh, value that this might have. If we trust long enough, if we wait long enough, if we, uh, as Ed mentioned, right, if we have that longing and that Advent spirit long enough, the fulfillment the promises, the realization, the actualization the, of, the, of, of the promises, that's sure to come. Right? And uh, humility uh, really uh, capitalizes on that. Right? Humility really embraces that. Right? The advent was painfully slow in its arrival. David in his prayer mentioned Simeon. Right? waiting for the consolation of Israel uh, in the flesh after a lifetime of delay. But humble people right, trust uh, a God who works in God's own time. Um, Christmas, as Ma even as I'm mentioning everybody today, as Marge said, it's surprising. It's like, it's a shock actually, right? It, it has a shock value. 
But that shock value, right, it, it is very like, uh, like kind of out of the blue. But for the humble person, the, the, the trusting person, the patient person, they are not shocked. Or it, it's shocking, but, you know, they're used to the shock. Or <laughs> right? That's part of uh, uh, the regularity of seeing God substantiate uh, his promises. Okay, that's it from uh, Mary's beautiful song, which I've tried to have us think about in terms of humility. Um, I think we can reflect, right? I hope you have thought about the state of your own heart, right? of the people around you. Do we really, are we willing to submit to God's, any sort of God's plan, but maybe in the Christmas spirit, the hardest of his plans for you and me? Are we really part of that subversion movement? Or, you know, are you strong in self, strong in power, strong in, in wealth, so that you're on the other end? Right? You see yourself kind of, you know, pushed down by God, if you will, as he responds to the cries of the weak, of the humble, of the poor. And uh, are we kind of... Uh, and see, do we want things our way in our time frame, resulting in that uh, we don't wait. We don't wait by the proverbial river. We don't wait on God. We're not waiting for Christmas uh, to happen again and again uh, before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as we uh, take some time in this month and uh, to think about where we are, where our heart lies, towards you, towards others, towards what's happening in the world, um, I feel like there is this strong sense of kind of self-preservation and protectionism, this, this fear that we feel that if we don't do things, if we don't assert ourselves, if we don't stand up for our rights, if we don't let if we don't um, push back on those that are maybe trying to take things away or hurt us, that we're going to miss out, we're going to lose, that we're, somehow we're not going to survive. But when we see Mary's confession, when we see her lyrics, when we see her heart, when we see her life, um, we see someone who's humble before you. Please grant that to us, grant that to our church, grant that to our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.